What's up, everyone? My name is Philip Hensler. And I'm Adam Richmond. And we're your co-hosts for today's PATHS Technology Committee podcast. We started this podcast to initiate a conversation with the members of the athletic training community in Pennsylvania in the hopes that we can engage and foster relationships in the state, explore emerging settings, and provide a unique perspective into the day in the life of an athletic trainer. <laughs> Today, I want to thank our guest, Nikki, for taking time out of her busy schedule. Nikki earned her bachelor's in exercise science from the University of North Carolina at Greensburg, Greensboro, I'm sorry, in 2001. Uh, she also earned her master's in public health from Westchester University in 2004 and her PhD in kinesiology from Temple University in 2014. Currently, she is a tenured uh, assistant professor in the Department of Sports Medicine at Westchester University. She is also the graduate program coordinator. And on top of that, she also has responsibilities with men's basketball, women's basketball, and volleyball. Nikki, thank you so much for taking time to talk athletic training with us this morning. And congratulations on being selected to represent us at PATS as the president-elect. Oh, thanks so much. And I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. So let's, um, let's get into where you are at this point in your career. How did you get here? Sure. So a um, long time ago, you know, I was a, an athlete, as, as many of us were, um, and I had interest of getting involved in healthcare of some capacity. But at the time of deciding about undergrad, I wanted to move away from home, uh, play sports, and figure it out and, and do it on my own. Right. So um, when I was down at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro and I was a division one basketball player, walk on down there. Um, I gained an appreciation for athletic training. Uh, when I was in high school, we had an athletic trainer probably our last year. It probably shows how old I am. But beyond that, uh, I started to learn to appreciate kind of the the essence of sports medicine. Initially, I thought I wanted to go into physical therapy and I did an internship and realized that this was not for me. And so I, I was an internship candidate for, to become a certified athletic trainer. Uh, in, I took a year off to finish my hours, prep for the exam, and to get some work-life experience and decided to go back to grad school. I got a graduate assistantship at Westchester and I got my master's in public health. And at the time, I thought I wanted to go more like healthcare administration and showing the value of the services that we provided. Because when I did my internship the year before at Myrtle Beach High School in South Carolina, I was responsible for tracking metrics and equating it to the dollar figures that if we were at a PT clinic, it would have been this much. So I thought I wanted to go the business route. And then I came to Westchester University and absolutely fell in love um, with the history, with being a preceptor. Um, and I was really humbled to be a part of what was this juggernaut of an athletic training education program and some of the, the royalty, I would say, you know, that has come out of it. Um, so I was really just humbled to be a part of it, and I caught the bug. Uh, after I graduated, um, I had the opportunity to have a graduate or um, a temporary position, and I realized very quickly that this is what I wanted to do. And it's funny because when I was done my bachelor's degree and finishing up with my internship in South Carolina, I was a substitute teacher, and it was the worst job I've ever had. And if you would have told me then that I was going to be a teacher, I probably would have like slapped you and said, no freaking way. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Your, your, 
your current role, you are a dual professor and athletic trainer in the clinic. So like, I, I, I feel like those roles are falling off and, and we don't see those as much. Um, so can you just maybe talk a little bit about how that works at Westchester for you and, and maybe like some of your favorite parts of that? Sure. I, I mean, I think it's, it's by far what makes Westchester so special because you're being taught by people that do it on a day-to-day basis. And it, being a clinician helps elevate my didactic delivery in the classroom. And then my delivery in the classroom also helps to elevate my clinical clinical skills where I'm not just getting into the same rut. Um, so it's hectic and, and we get course release time for our sports. So in overseeing men's and women's basketball and a little bit of volleyball, I get what's equivalent of one course release, you know? So there are days where I'm covering a 6 a.m. practice and then we've got a 7 p.m. game and I'm wondering what am I doing with my life? <laughs> um, it's the, 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 invaluable experience that you get and and being able to take professional level students and kind of show them the ropes and let them do things and knowing what they know in the classroom and really kind of push them outside of their comfort zone um, in the clinical setting um, has been really, really rewarding. Um, There are times of the year it gets hectic, you know, between meetings and trying to get scholarship done and publish papers and do presentations. And then, you know, on top of that, working with Pat's now, Um, But it really is kind of makes it all worth it. It makes it full circle. You know, for me, I could not see myself functioning in just a clinical role or just a a teaching role at this point because I love both so much. Um, So the headaches and the the time constraints are definitely worth it. um, And I have to remind myself of, of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I love that model. Um, Lockhaven university where I went to school had that model. I think they're, they're starting to get away from it a little bit more. Um, but I, I felt like that was the best way to learn, right? Like you're, you're literally taking what you learned in the classroom that day and, and are able to apply it in the clinic. Um, you know, either the same day or the next day. And, and I felt like that, you know, exponentially helped me, um, you know, learn the skills that, that needed to be learned as an athletic trainer. Sure. And you think a clinical education has changed so drastically, right? I mean, I remember when I first started at Westchester, you were allowed to leave a student at practice, you know, while you ran away and did something else. Um, we're no longer doing that. <laughs> and it was a good shift that we've had. Um, and then the, the implementation of graduate assistance has been helpful. And as that, that kind of professional program, the bachelor's professional program phases out, I think the post-professional programs are going to evolve naturally as well. Um, so it may limit our abilities to kind of do some of the things that we do, but, but we'll figure it out hopefully and still have that medical model of being able to do both. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, kind of going along the same route there, you, I know you're a big advocate of evidence-based medicine um, or evidence-based practice and also, you know, patient-centered care. I'm curious to know what those two things mean to you as a clinician and, and how they kind of go together and how they can how we can accomplish both at the same time. Sure. So as I kind of alluded to you guys earlier, I'm a little bit of a list maker and, and I'm, I'm neurotic and I'm a perfectionist. So when I was going through, when I was a young professional, I started making all these binders and it was like for ankle sprains, I'm going to do this for a knee injury. I'm going to do this. And it was because I wanted to have this perfect solution, almost a cookbook solution. Mm-hmm. And as I became more involved, I realized that was totally the backwards way to approach it. Um, and when I was in undergrad, we were taught ice and stim for everybody and non-thermal ultrasound heals everything. And so I came out and I'm like, okay, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. Cause I follow rules. 
And when I started to think for myself and look into the research and why am I doing this, there, there was no evidence to support any of it. Um, and so when I shifted into becoming a preceptor, then it became interesting to see what students' kind of biases were and where they came from and what they believed in and what, why they believed in it. Um, and I remember working with Dr. Sittler from Temple University, um, and he, he actually encouraged me to go to my first evidence-based practice summit run by the NATA Research and Education Foundation. And I'll never forget because it was down in Atlanta and it was with some heavy hitters like Tom Kaminsky, you know, like some NATA level Hall of Famers. And here I was like a little grad student, you know, attending. Um, and it really made me question a lot. And for me, it was eye opening because it, it was empowering because then it enabled me to be the healthcare provider as opposed to the practitioner that's, oh, you want ice? Here, here's ice. Or you want stem? Sure, here's stem. You know, and athletes will come in often and they say, hey, Nikki, I need this. And I'm like, oh, really? How many years did you go to school to tell me that you need that? Like, so, um, and I, I say it kiddingly and, and in, a, in a, a fun loving way. Um, but also understanding that that patient actually has an idea of what works for them and what doesn't work for them. You know, so I kind of overcorrected from following the rules and what someone told me to then kind of following only what research said. And now I think, you know, I'm seasoned enough in my career to understand there's a right size to everything. And patient-centered care is probably of utmost importance. What I do for, so for someone is not as important, I think, as the relationship and rapport that you establish with that athlete and understanding what their goals are and how can I help them get to those goals. And I think far too often in our profession, we get fizzy and it's just, what, what we can do with a little bit of time we have. But if we just take a little bit more time and dedicate towards understanding that patient better, um, I think it really helps them from a disablement model, from a pain perspective, and from understanding what, what their goals are. And then it, it's always fun because by the end of their time with us, they, they tend to appreciate us. Yeah. Um, two, two things there. I mean, uh, our last episode, we talked about pain science and I think patient centered care is, is, you know, what, what the, the psychological part of pain plays a big role in that. Right. And, and there were, our words matter and, and their feelings and thoughts and beliefs about what we are, we're doing for them matter. Right. So I think that's huge um, in, in that regard. And then I, I think another big thing you said there, you know, uh, we, we need to take ourselves out of the, as being the hero and as being the most important part of this process and we're the authority and put it back on the patient, right? The patient needs to be the hero. We're trying to help them accomplish their goals. And, and I think that's really valuable. So yeah, I love that. Sure. And I think communicating between the athlete, yourself as the healthcare provider, and then the coach, you know, because there are those pressures that they feel from the coach or from teammates and trying to make sure that everyone understands we're all here for this person. Um, understanding what everyone's goals are, but, but really focusing on that, that person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, treating, <clears throat> treating the athlete as a whole has gotten me, got me a, a long way, um, especially in the uh, industrial field. Um, you, they, they may come in with one issue and they want one thing, and that might not be the best treatment, but that helps heal their soul, heal their mind, that, and they think that you've given them the attention that they were looking when you've also added three or four other things that is going to make them better, but together as a whole, you know, you're healing them physically, you're healing them emotionally, and you're giving them the time that they feel that you're invested in their care as much as they are. And I, I see that goes a long way. So I, I love that approach. 
Sure. And as soon as they feel that you're invested, then you kind of have that open dialogue where you can say, yep. you know what, this is what I think is really good for you. Or I've been doing research on this and, and this approach might really work. And you kind of have that back and forth and then, then they're on board. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would, I would love to know what, what is that? How does that conversation go for you? Like, you know, they're coming in and, and say they, they read on the internet that they want that ultrasound is going to heal their tendonitis, right? Like, are you immediately shutting them down saying, Hey, no, the research isn't there. Or are you like, what does that conversation look like? Yeah. So I don't immediately shut them down. Um, normally it's like my dad said, or my high school AT did. And I'm like, Oh, okay, let's talk about that. Um, and, and normally it's not around ultrasound. It's normally around eye stem K tape. Um, lately it's been, you know, the game ready and, and, uh, Norma tech recovery boots. Um, in the, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it used to be the ice bath. Everyone needs an ice bath for recovery. Um, you know, so, so sometimes it depends. Sometimes I'll, I'll have a conversation. Why do you think it works? What did it do for you? What's your goal? And once I understand their goal, I may say, well, I have an idea which might help address your goal or let's try mine and yours, you know, at the same time, yep. just to try to create buy-in with them. Um, Sometimes it's been stim, like, oh, I need ice and stim, you know, and, and old Nikki would have been like, yeah, sure, that heals everything. Um, and then I start to look in, obviously, the pain science and, and, and uh, neuro, or neuropathology of it and understanding that where you might have had stim before, maybe you didn't have the right kind of stim, you know, so, okay, I'll give you stim, but instead of doing sensory stim, let's try a low-rate motor or an electroacupuncture and see if that helps reach that. So it's like I give a little, but I still kind of take a bulk majority of the control of it um, and try and steer it um, and eventually getting to the treatment that we say. And I say, just give it a couple tries. And if it doesn't work, then we can do what you want to do. Yeah. And you brought up um, some of the recovery modalities and that's, that's a big pet peeve of mine um, as well. I'm curious your thoughts on, on, on some of that stuff. And, you know, I think physiologically we know what it does and doesn't do, but psychologically there's, there's a, a piece of recovery there as well. Right. So like, Sure. Where, where, what are your thoughts on that? And like, you know, those guys that, that they think if they think they have to have an ice bath, sure. you know, do they have to have an ice bath or psychologically the next day they're not going to feel as well? Right. Well, I, I have turned the student hat onto the athletes and said, if you can find any evidence that that's going to work then bring it to me and, and I'm, on, I'm on board. And it could even be something from like a low level source. But if, if they do a little extra effort and that shows that means that much to them, I will concede. Um, but folks know me um, and my personality, and I am not a passive treatment modality type of a person. You know, for me, active recovery, um, mobility work, um, things that I can teach you to do on your own are far more valuable in the long run versus passive. Um, you know, so for me, I'm fortunate in that we work, I work out of a secondary athletic training room where our resources aren't that fantastic. Um, so we don't have all of the bells and whistles that our main athletic training room has. So I'm like, oh, sorry, bud, we don't have it. You're like, but you can meet me earlier in the day and we can do it. Um, but um, I think that as time goes on, they kind of come around to it. The cold tubs, um, like there's a research article that says it has to be below this certain degree temperature and I set it at that and they get in at once and they're like, yeah, never again. <laughs> so I let them try it. Um, but then we're not going to do it entirely on their terms. Like there has to be a little bit of evidence behind the parameters of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, I did have athletes, you know, that firmly believe in counter irritants, like icy hot and biofreeze. Mm -hmm. And like, there's really, mm -hmm. I, I say, if you want to keep an athletic training room, feel free. If you want to come in here and get a glove, feel free. I think one, um, 
there's been a little bit more research to support capsaicin in counter irritants lately. You know, so we have this little tiny jug of Tiger Balm, you know, because I challenged a student to have an article. They came in and Tiger Balm was great. And I said, okay, you know, we can keep this here for you. Um, but I try to have it be less of a customer service and more of an evidence-based approach. But there still is that patient-centered aspect in trying to get them to, to engage and commit and, and help me understand why they think it's so important. Yep, that, that, that was perfect. That was kind of what I was getting to. And, and uh, that's right. Cause like they, they can, they can definitely be blended together, but it's hard sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I appreciate your, your uh, comments on that. That was perfect. Um, so kind of sw switching gears a little bit, uh, Phil already congratulated you on the, the new role. Um, but I'm just curious in that new role as, as the president elect, and then, you know, you'll become the president and, and so on. Um, what are maybe some goals that you have during your, your term as uh, the president of Pat's? Sure. So, I mean, honestly, it's still a little bit of like a dream and it's still sinking in for me. You know, I'm, I'm, I have a, a touch of imposter syndrome at this point because I think of the fabulous leaders that have gone through this role before. Um, and, you know, Joe Izzy actually was the one who nominated me for both uh, regional rep as well as president elect. And he for years has been kidding with me. You're going to be the president. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That's not going to be me. Um, you know, so I kept kind of taking those steps and you know, for me, I just want to continue the great work that's been laid out um, by the by the boards and, and leadership before us. Um, you know, I've been on the board for four and a half years now as a regional rep, uh, finishing my fifth year, and it's been eye-opening. Um, you know, it, it it's a situation that I remember being at my first PATS convention and seeing everyone walking around with those magnetic name badges, and you automatically knew they were a super important person. Um, so when I was first became that regional rep and I got my name badge, like I remember just sitting and staring at it and be like, how is this me? <laughs> and, and, and here I am, you know, stepping into to the president elect role. It's still so incredibly humbling to believe, um, you know, so, so the goals I want to continue to work on is I want to continue to support the legislative efforts, you know, and looking at our practice act and, and how limiting it is, um, you know, we need to try to kind of understand that a little bit better. How can we best serve um, the membership? to be able to be employable and well-paid um, and to work legally, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I want to continue that. Um, but some of my goals on the board or initiatives thus far, I've been focusing a little bit of more of the public perception and PR, you know, so I really applaud you guys for, for doing the podcast because it reaches outside of just our members, you know, to the public mm -hmm. and really trying to show that we are up to date. Um, we are relevant um, and we are cutting edge and leaders. Um, you know, so, so I love this and, and seeing different things like the logo change, the website change that had all kind of led up to this. So I want to kind of continue that public advocacy and education, um, as far as who we are and what we do. And in addition to, to supporting the legislative efforts. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Nikki, I, I will say I got to know you probably, I think for the first time through Pat's convention committee, um, you and Shelly were the programming committee. And uh, I think I knew then that, that you and Shelly were both going to be president someday. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to see it came to fruition and uh, yeah, good luck in that role. I appreciate it. All right. So Nikki, what, what is one of the coolest experiences that has been afforded to you as an athletic trainer? And you know, that's such a great question. And it, for me, it, it's, I kind of where I think of like, I have two hats, right? I've got my athletic training educator hat where I vividly remember my first student calling me and so excited because they passed their certification exam. And we had been doing like study sessions for hours. Yeah. You know? And so every year 
I still get that warm feeling like when kids pop in my office and they're like, guess what? I passed. So, and seeing them go on and doing great things and becoming leaders, like I really feel like for me, that's been memorable from the athletic education part of it. And like, they really firmly believe they're always, you know, Westchester's always home no matter where they go. And we've kind of created that culture. And I love that. Um, on the clinical side, you know, it's the, the athletes that, you know, you've been with from day one, they had their ACL tear and, and you've worked with them for four, maybe five years and they return back and they get to, you know, have 20 points in their senior game and, or, you know, some of them have gone over play, overseas and played professionally um, and just trying to help them. And, and for me, you know, early on there was cool experiences. Like I got to work like the N1 basketball tournament, like, I liked basketball, so that was cool at the time. But, you know, for me, I'm not really into the glitz and the glamour so much. It's more of the mentorship and the relationships that you create. And and every year, my favorite event, my most favorite event um, for the education side is graduation. Um, just seeing, like, how proud they are and their family's there. And, and, you know, they're so wrapped up in it, they still run off. But I'm like, oh, like, they're going to come back and, and, and really appreciate their, their time um, seeing them at NATA. Um, on the clinical side, it's the alumni game. Um, for the basketball teams like I go back and I've been with the basketball teams for 15 years now and it's hard for me to say that out loud um, and I go and like I watch them all come in and they play and they're older and not getting up and down the court as much and you know they bring their kids and like it's just so for me and they come up and they give me a big hug and it's sweaty and they're like thanks for everything you did I still need you now yeah like you know so for me it's that those types of events that are memorable in general um, I can't say that there's one highlight event, but it's just kind of that repetitive um, kind of intrinsic rewarding experience that I, that I get in those roles. Yeah, I, I will. Um, I'm going to brag a little bit right now, too. Not 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 for myself, but I, I, I feel you on the mentorship part of the thing, um, like being a preceptor. I've had a lot of good kids come through and, and I literally this morning I'm scrolling through Facebook and saw that uh, I'm going to give him a shout out. Dakota Rosenberg. Um, he, he became the athletic trainer of the year recognized as athletic trainer of the year at Lockhaven university. And he was a preceptor from Messiah that I had. And I'm just like, man, I'm so proud of that kid. Like he was awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that is a, it's a great feeling when you're like, yeah, I helped him. That's, that's great. So, right. um, and I also say that I'm old as well. And, and, um, recently the, um, Dickinson hall of fame is, um, inducting some students that I actually was an athletic trainer for. And you have to be out of Dickinson for 10 years before you mm -hmm. become a hall of fame. So yeah, I feel you on, on being here for a while. Yeah. But it's just fun to see their accomplishment, you know, it is man. And I thought I was old when I had high school athletes graduating and starting families and having kids of their own. And yep. I, I, I've only been in the field, maybe what, 2000, 2006 finally. And yeah, that's, that's not that long ago, but it really was. Yeah, you're still a baby. It's okay. <laughs> um, speaking about young professionals, ah, oh, awesome segue. Um, what do you look for in a new hire, or what's one piece of advice you have for young professionals starting out in athletic training? Sure. Um, so those are two kind of different questions. But for me, when I'm hiring a young professional, I'm looking at someone that is thirsty to learn more as opposed to think that they know everything. Um, because in, in this healthcare field, I probably wouldn't have hired myself when I was younger because I thought I knew it all. Um, you know, it, I'm looking for that person that's willing to question and challenge and grow. 
Um, and when I say question and challenge, do it in a professional way, not just, you know, a, a condescending or snarky way. Um, and my advice for young professionals, I think it, it kind of segues from that, is to continue to learn and grow and to challenge yourself. It's very easy to get stuck in a routine um, and kind of function in your comfort zone, but to step outside of that comfort zone and continue to elevate yourself, uh, whether it's through continuing education, you know, mentorship, um, really elevating your skill set, and always advocating for your value and what you bring to the profession or the, the institution where you're working. Um, you know, I think it's easy to stay shy and in your, your comfort zone. Uh, and, you know, it's funny that Adam mentioned uh, getting involved in programming. I thought I was too, too small of a fish to really be involved in programming at that point. Um, and, and I had a, a peer, actually Scott Heinrichs, who suggested that I do it. Um, and I said, okay, I'll try. I don't know anybody, but here we go. Um, you know, so, so continue to kind of stretch yourself uh, because you never know where it's going to lead. That's cool. I like it. Same. All right, Nikki, we are about wrapping up here. We're going to get into what we call the lightning round. Your answers can be as long or as short as you would like, um, but we usually get some pretty good answers here. So if you're not currently in this role, what is your dream job? It's actually, I'm in that role. I'm hoping <laughs> to retire from this job at this point. Um, nice. Yeah, it would have been different. You know, like yeah, you asked me this 10, 20 years ago, totally different, but yeah. but I'm in it. I'm just trying to make it happen. Perfect. That's that's awesome how how life changes you like that. Oh yeah. Um what do you do for fun when you're not at sure. school? Yeah. So um I I work out a lot. I'm still trying to kind of hang on to that that formerly um athletic person that I used to be. Um so I do a lot of working out, I run, and then I play with my dogs. I have three dogs. Um all three were impulse buys. <laughs> two, two I did and one my husband did, but uh, they certainly keep life interesting. All right, Nikki, a little deeper. What inspires you? Sure. I would say the young professional inspires me um, and trying to make sure that I am providing them um, with mentorship and education that they need. Um, and um, just kind of seeing the passion and excitement that they have continues to kind of push me. And my favorite question of the day, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Sure. So being an athletic trainer to me means providing people with an opportunity for um, educating themselves on how to best take care of themselves, to best be advocates for themselves. Uh, but it's also about me being an advocate for them um, and understanding when they need to kind of protect themselves from themselves. Uh, plenty of athletes kind of fight through too many things that they think it's part of the athletic identity that they're supposed to do. Um, but understanding that as healthcare providers that we're there to help them as a human, um, as opposed to just to help get them back in the game. Um, so that's kind of what it means to me. I love that. I love that. Absolutely love that answer. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Nikki, you've been absolutely awesome to talk to today. Um, and you're an absolute legend. I, I appreciate you coming on with us. If anybody has any questions or comments for you, is there any ways that they can reach out to you? Sure. Absolutely. You can email me. Um, I have so many email addresses, but either through Westchester or my Pat's email addresses. And then I'm on social media. I'm a, a nerd. I only like on Twitter and Instagram, but everything is about athletic training and research. Um, you know, so they can feel free to reach out. I probably respond to DMs quicker than emails because I don't get as many. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but, uh, awesome. but yeah, anyone can reach out to me. In a, Perfect. In a Thank platform. you so much. Awesome. Right. Um, 
and to our viewers, thank you for listening. If you have any uh, you know, topics or comments or anything that you want to reach out, please do um, the comment section below. Um, just want to say thanks again. Until next time, I'm Adam Richmond. And I'm Philip Hensler. And this was the Pat's Podcast. There's zero people in my building right now. And it's like a mile, not even a mile. It's like a half a mile from my house. So you got a ton of broadband broad, or bandwidth yeah, to work with. Yeah. <laughs> yup. No, no worries. I'm not, I'm social distancing. I have my, I got, I got a buff so that I can use as a nice. Mask. So oh. I can double it whenever I'm, I'm assuming when we get back into the actual gyms that we're going to have to wear some type of covering. Um, and I felt like that was a, an appropriate purchase for the for the time so i know it's gonna look like everybody's altitude training Uh uh-huh well and then they're talking about social distancing so you're trying to think of like within the confines of any particular athletic training room are we how are we going to even manage that when you think of sheer Mm -hmm. volume Um, i didn't even think about the athletic training room yet nikki that's that's an interesting conversation um you know i think everybody's been talking about weight rooms and and Mm -hmm. and fitness and then that was something that we talked about but um, and I, I was actually just giving giving um, some coworkers crap about like, have we even thought about like our our on campus um, fitness center? Like, has anybody had that conversation of like, when we open back up, what's that going to look like? Um, so I've been focused on that, but I haven't even thought about like social distancing yeah. in the training room. Like, what's that going to look like? I have no idea. Have you got? Have you had any talks about that? Well, so we got a bunch of stuff from our conference and like some stuff from the NATA. Um, we're starting to put together a work group to start to look at it, but we're talking about like daily screenings and trying to put in like some type of a flagging system as far as um, athletes that are asymptomatic athletes that maybe are running early symptoms, temperature checks, uh, pulse ox checks, you know, like that's something that we're really starting to think about and how to come up with a management plan with our um, student health center. And then from a risk management standpoint, and like, we just don't even know, they're not making a decision about fall, I think until July one. Um, but thinking about what's going to happen, we're just, it's hard to plan when it's such a fluid situation, but uh, we would rather plan than have to adjust and kind of do things last minute. Yeah. Right. Like plan for the worst and Mm -hmm. and have a a plan in place. Um, yeah, that's, that's crazy to think about. Like, would you like have somebody standing at the door before they come in? Like, is that the whole facility? They can't even come in, you know, like, cause like, the building I'm in right now, you know, has four locker rooms, a weight room, conference room. Like, are they like, do you screen them before they even get in the building or they, and before they come into the training room? Like what that's, I, I don't even know what that looks like. Yeah, I know. Adam, I think you're going to have to go around to everybody's dorm, knock on them, take a swab first thing in the morning. <laughs> Phil, don't put that out there, man. Like, <laughs> job security. If, if there's no athletics going on, that might be my role. No, and that's the crazy thing to think about. Like, so when does athletics return, you know, Mm -hmm. under what conditions? Um, And like some of the like power five schools, you think, okay, they'll probably come back without fans for a bit because they can televise and do whatever, you know, but like little D2 school, like what, like from a a university risk standpoint, I am glad I'm not in that decision-making position. What, what is that risk? Um, Like, I think that's kind of uncharted territory too, right? Like, you know, what liability is on, you know, even, even a grocery store or a, you know, any, any consumer um, store or restaurant, like, is there liability there that if somebody gets sick and how do you prove they got sick on, on your property? You know what I That's mean? That's the like, hard part there. It, it's a, it's going to be a very tricky um, situation as we move uh, forward. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'm thinking of is, is if there's a, a resurgence or an outbreak and like you kind of a cluster, you know, so it could have been that someone came to a football game from the public, you know, and then kind of spread it amongst the university community or vice versa. 
Um, but I don't know. And we're just going to plan for the worst and hope for the best. And, yeah. But I think you're right. I think we are going to look like little altitude trainers for, for quite some time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, uh, my training room, we're down to one person and then I have a staging area um, where if you need to come see me, you wait there until you're retrieved. Oh, That's how we're handling things right now. That's good. But I'm in an industrial setting, so it's yeah. a little bit, little bit different of a um, workflow than uh, anything I've ever done at the schools. Yeah, um, and you think of in the schools, like how much is essential versus how much is superfluous. You know, like yep. do they have to come to the athletic training room to foam roll and to go get this and to go get that? Like, yep, or I, can they do that in their locker room? Right. Yeah. Right. So it'll be interesting. It'll be a huge culture shift. Yeah. But I mean, start even, doing even appointments. Though- I know that's, that's actually where we, that's our, that was one of the things that did come out of the, the quarantine here is, is, you know, we've been revisiting our policies and procedures and that's something that, that we are like, yeah, like this, it seems to be going that route and it, it solves a lot of problems from uh, for us. Um, Cause we have a lot of, we treat our non-traditional athletes, right? Like, so our out of season athletes, like everybody has full, full reign to the training room. Like you just come in whenever you want, you do whatever you want. And, and that just gets hectic whenever you have kids that are out of season coming in whenever you're trying to mm-hmm. prep, you know, in season athletes, this is not fair to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to go that route and actually start booking people. Well, here's the problem for the last three years, we've done appointments for out of season um, just because of, of volume um, yep. and space. Um, but they don't make an appointment and I, then I, they I, still try and come right. in. You know, like, so the mechanism is there, but it's because it's not convenient. It's not the way it's been done. And they think they have unlimited access at all hours. It, yeah. It's just, how did, how did you guys handle that for the last three? Like, do you kick them out? Cause like, I think that's the only way you can get, you know, results. Like you're going to have to just say no. And, yeah. and until they, so I, um, Messiah college, I guess has, has kind of adopted this and, and we're pretty close uh, down the road to them. So we've, we've had this conversation with them and they said there was a lot of pushback and a lot of um, right. negative comments at first, but you know, after about a year, they, they, they feel like they've gotten it rolling at their school and, and people have actually, you know, and enjoyed having that one-on-one care. Whereas before, like, you know, I'm taping an ankle and talking to two or three people at the same time. Like that's not quality right. care. Right. Yeah. So we did that at Duquesne when I was there a couple years ago. Um, and it was a huge transition for me because I had never done it by appointments and I freaking loved it. Once I got a system down and it really is practitioner based, like mm-hmm. you, the athletic trainer have to put your foot down and if you get somebody coming in, you know, the first time, no big deal. You explain the system, but like second and third time, the second time you give them something to do until, um, you have time for them. And the third time you just say, Hey, you know, you've got to make an appointment. Right. Like you, there's, and you, you kind of make a case by case, you know, somebody that tripped going down the steps, going to class. Yeah. The no big deal. Just come in. But I mean, we also had phones where they could text us a uh, good email system. Uh, um, we used, it wasn't Teams. It was one of the other social apps that, you know, you can communicate privately and publicly with, with the team. And that worked out really well. That's good. Well, remind. It was a remind app that the uh, university used. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll figure it out. We got no choice at this point, huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 